<laughs> what do you want to talk about? You know what? Next week when I come here, I'm going to prepare for that question. Well, next week we she'll be on the board or oh, wherever, yeah, so yeah. we won't be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> the week That's after. why I said that. <laughs> yeah. Good cover. Good cover. But he asks that question every week. He does. And, he's thinking about it. Uh, yeah, but and, yeah. Yeah. And then, I come in here like a blank spot. slate. Like a blank yeah, slate. You got to think about it before you come in. If it puts everybody's mind at work, it says, what do you want to talk about? And you, everybody's mind just like goes blank. Right. <laughs> there was fresh manna on the ground every morning. So what did you wake up thinking about? Yeah. Well, this, this is a, a little weird thing. But I, I woke up this morning, went and took a shower in the hot side of my house because one of our air conditioners out. And I was listening to some videos on Facebook and a couple of them I identified as I don't believe that what that per what's going on there on that video is true. I believe that it's actually a doctored video. And there's a lot of uh, stuff out there on social media that is not true. And so in the midst of watching this, one of the videos was this guy talking about social media and fake videos and how AI, you know, in other words, there's a logarithms that know what you look at. So what they do is they feed things to you. This is quite obvious. I'm not telling y'all anything new that like, tend to inflame your passion. In other words, you have this idea, this land, and they, but so they send things to you, some of which is not even true, mm -hmm. just to inflame you to your cause, because that is what sells you. And it's just like, I'm yeah, thinking to myself, what in the heck is going on in this world? That's the way the world grows a church. I learned years, years ago, uh -huh. I don't believe everything on the internet. Now, I just got I just got into this, you know, about maybe 10, 15 years ago, okay? I'm 76 now. I didn't want to pull it. Anyway, a lady said, I'm going to show you something. Close it up, and here's this person with a bird. Looks perfect. The way they can do it. It's just, that's why I don't believe everything on the internet. Because here's a bird head sitting on a human body, and it looks like it's perfect, it's made for it. Yeah. The way they do it, and yeah, yeah. And that's just, well, have you been to Mardi Gras? Haven't you been to Mardi Gras? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, I mean, in the same way you would never believe in everything that any person says, I mean, it's people that are on the internet, so why would you believe everything you read on the internet? I mean, anything that has people involved carries with it the disclaimer that this may or may not be true. And that right. everything said is uh, at the mercy of the biases or preconceived conclusions or notions of the people speaking. Yep. Right? I mean, that, that carries with it its own disclaimer. You're talking to people, that's how it, it goes. Well, I find out too, if somebody says something to me, I'll look, if, if it doesn't line up with God's word, then it's not true. 
Yeah. Did you got to line it up with his words? Well, that's that's really a, a little bit of the whole idea, because what's going on in the social media is is people's attention is gravitating to thoughts and ideas that are meant to capture it from the truth. Because it, there's ideas and philosophies out there in the world that uh, are contrary to the truth. Mm -hmm. But but it, but it's it's more a little bit of a it, it's a war of ideologies mm -hmm. that are out there. And because we operate from the knowledge of good and evil, we tend to to gravitate to everything under the sun. It really there's a little bit of a spiritual element to what's going on. A little bit. I would say I would say you could sum it up by saying it's a battle of who's your daddy. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, right. That's right. Who 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 is going to father your life? Yes. And either sin and death wrapped up in a nice pretty bow mm -hmm. with great uh, graphics. <laughs> yeah. Or you say you have to you have to line it up with the word. First thing is that what you said? Line it up with the word. Yeah. yeah. The first thing I thought of was lining up with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Yeah, think he of, is the word. I didn't think of the written. Yeah. Scripture collected in what we call the Bible. I thought, line it up. Does it line up with Jesus? <laughs> and so, is life found? Is, is that where you find life? That's the question that really helps me. That has become automatic. Is life is not found in this? Yeah. Does that have the power to give you life? Yeah. Does that have the power to bring you out of the grave? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes on all of those. When it comes to Jesus. And the answer is no on all of those when it comes to what the world offers. Yeah. You know, another and I'm the one who just spent yesterday like binge watching. <laughs> it's just so easy to sit there and, oh, look how they did that. You know, like your father, like he was telling that Larry took over, you know, when he was born and everything. And what's the first word you learn when you're, when you're a kid, a baby? What's the first two? It's a two-letter word, right? Yeah, right. Okay. You learn it, right? He's teaching him to go the right way. And when you start growing up and, and like you're five years old, I said, maybe I shouldn't have done that because he's already setting the knowledge in up here, the good and the evil part. And he said, if I go home, I'll get spanked, you know? <laughs> yeah. And my, my daughter, it was funny. Her stepdaddy, her stepfather, never laid a hand on him. And all he would say is to her, I'm going to tell your mother when you get home. And she hated that. She sweated it. <laughs> so, go, go get me a book. Put it back here real quick. <laughs> but they, you know, until God takes over, until he accepts his, uh, his own life, you know, mm -hmm. he takes responsibility for it. You're going to be the father. So then, then he gets his... The spiritual part comes into play. No one is really an orphan. And I don't just mean in the Christian sense. No one is without something and someone fathering their life. Yep. Yep. So there's no ambiguity here. Either God is the father of the life you have. And I say it that way, the father of the life you have. 
right? Even when you just use that language and you think about it that way, it puts the weight of the life and the burden of life coming forth on God and not on a person. Either God will be the father of the life you have because you've looked to him for life or the world will be the father of the life you have. The thing about it is, is, is the world is such a deadbeat dad, always promising, right? But never producing or providing, always telling you that it can be the father that you need, always telling you that it will be the father that you need, always apologizing in tears and ashes and sackcloth every time it fails to be the father you need, right? The world is such a bad father that it will leave you as the equivalent of an orphan is what will happen. Right. But you're, rest assured, the life you're partaking of was fathered by someone or something. And it was fathered by death. Right. And so now everything that that is in your conscience about life is born from darkness. It's born from death, which will then be born from the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is born from the fear of death. Right. Everything that the world thinks comes from being afraid of death, being afraid of corruption, being afraid of lack, being afraid of sickness, right? All the stuff we're talking about healing the, the last few weeks and months and, and the series we'll do on healing. So I understand that an unbeliever could be afraid of sickness or living in fear of sickness or thinking the sickness is a sign that they don't have life or that God isn't there. I understand why an unbeliever could think that because they don't know God yet. And so we could come and pray and they could be healed as a sign that there is something greater than the sickness. And the whole point would be so the fear of the sickness could be removed from them. And then that would be a sign that there's a life in God that's greater than the sickness. And God is with you to serve you with his life. But believers, believers don't seek a healing or get a sign and a wonder from the same foundation that uh, unbelievers do. And so we got a whole group of believers, quote unquote, still trying to get a sign and wonder from the foundation of being afraid of sickness. As if now the sickness is a sign they're not whole. And they don't have life. And they're afraid of not being whole and not having life. And now they're trying to get a sign and a wonder as the evidence that they have life. They're trying to be delivered from fear by a sign and a wonder. And the only sign and wonder that can deliver you from fear is the sign of God manifesting his life inside of the body of this man, Jesus, who was dead, dead, whose body was completely put to death on the cross. And now God came and manifested his life inside of this guy who was full of sin and death. And then he swallowed the sin and death inside of his body. That's the sign as believers that we're living by. We're not seeking signs and wonders to be the sign for us. We see what the sign is. And anything that could happen after that would just be a sign of what we're already believing. Not something that can cause us to believe. And it's like we've looked at the signs and wonders as something that could cause us to believe we're whole. It's a sign. That can cause us to believe God is with us. Instead of seeing it as the fruit of what we already believe. Right? Yeah, and so Jesus, we come at it. Jesus says the sign of Jonah is the only one you're going to get. That's right. Jonah being spat out of the belly of the whale. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that's the and, only and, one you're going to get. by implication, the only one you need. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't believe that. That's what that. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't believe that. The whales. A lot of them don't. Well, it doesn't really matter if they just, oh, man, that's impossible, man. Going down in his belly, sitting down there. But the, the two or three days. Do you, do you see that's the wrong argument, though? Because it was a fish. Well, no. And this is what, this is what the church does a lot. We get, we get caught up in having the wrong argument. Right. 
If someone wants to believe that that didn't happen, I don't really care. Because believing that Jonah got spat out of the belly of the whale is not the power unto salvation. So I couldn't really care less about whether or not they're believing in a shadow. What I care about is are they believing in the substance? If so, if someone wanted to come and tell me they didn't believe that happened, I wouldn't even get caught up in that. I would immediately say, well, the good news is, is that the point of that wasn't about a guy being spat out of the belly of the whale. The point of that was it was pointing to this man, Jesus, being put to death on the cross and how the grave couldn't hold him and how he was spit out of the grave. Right. Do we believe in that? That's that's the thing that we're focusing on now. Don't somebody misunderstand me. Do I believe that there was a physical guy named Jonah? that was physically swallowed by a whale and was physically spat out of the belly of the whale? I do believe that, but I'm not gonna waste my time having some vain argument, right? And I, po I promise you the power into somebody being saved ain't what they believe about Jonah. It's what they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could get so caught up in having the wrong argument. And then, then it just turns into to fighting over who's right, right? And any argument that we have about God, the, we ought to ask ourselves one thing. Will the end of this conversation be profitable towards a person experiencing life, right? And that should help shape our conversations and allow us to let some things just go by the wayside, right? Where we don't get caught up in every little insignificant argument, where we look at the whole of where the talk is going and what would edify and what would be profitable, right? That's actually a great way to short circuit or truncated argument. And the way you did it to me years ago was, well, how would it bless you to know that? I mean, how would, how would it bless you? If that's true, how would that bless you? And that's pretty much what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, uh, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> you can act, you can argue about that, but okay. If he did or didn't, how's that going to bless you? That's right. <laughs> how's it going to give you, how's it going to edify you with life? Yeah. Just to know you're right. To know you're right without, you can, you can, you can, you can think you're, you can be persuaded you're right and be dead. Yeah. And you might even be right about the technicality of something and still be walking after the flesh and right. be filled with all the fruit of death. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, you will just use another popular argument people like to argue with the world about. How many years is the earth? How old is the earth? Right? We want to sit and fight to the death about how old the earth is. But that's not the point, right, of what's being said there. And so, well, I mean, who really cares how old the earth is? If you want to argue about that as an interesting philosophical conversation, I'm okay with that. But let's just begin with that's an interesting philosophical conversation. <laughs> that actually doesn't have anything to do with whether or not a person has eternal life or not. I promise you there could be a person that thinks the earth is a billion years old that has eternal life. And there can be a person that thinks the earth is 6,000 years old that has eternal life. And you can find both of them disagreeing about that, but ha both having eternal life. And that's what I mean by, is this argument an interesting philosophical conversation we can have, right? Or is this argument life or death, right? Because not every argument is life or death. Not every argument about what you believe about the history of the scriptures is life or death, right? And what does time look like to somebody that's outside of time? Does time look different to somebody who doesn't live in time? then it looks to somebody who dwells in time? Does the sight of someone who lives outside of time look different than the sight of a person who lives inside of time? Is it possible that time looks different to God than it looks to temporal beings? 
I mean, we don't even allow for these types of things that time might look different to an eternal being than it looks to a temporal being. And so temporal beings could go and look at things in the earth and the way they see the earth, they could conclude it's this many years old. But God could look at the earth and he could conclude it's this many years old. And it could be completely different, right? And so we're going to fight and argue about that? For what? what? What was the point of creation? I promise you the point of creation wasn't you to figure out exactly how much literal time it was that it took to be created and for you to go and preach about that. The point was God, the chief of everything that has life. God, the one in whom everything that lives has gotten the life by which they're living. The point is God is Father. Actually, the point in Genesis is the same point that's made in the Lord Jesus. That's why it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and it says that the life was in the Word, and the life was the light of all people. And so John comes and makes the same point in Jesus that Genesis is trying to make when it says, in the beginning was God. And the heavens and the earth were created by God. And God said, let there be light. And the light separated the darkness. It's talking about God is the father of life, which means that he's the only one who has life in himself, right? That's the point that Genesis is making. In God is life. And God has given that we could have this life also. That's the whole point you're trying to extract out of Genesis. Now, you can have interesting, I don't even think that's a doctrinal debate. I think that's just an interesting philosophical, historical conversation. I don't even think that rises to the level of doctrine. Because when I think about doctrine, I think about what God would think of doctrine. And the way God would think of doctrine is he would think of his doctrine and what his judgment is. And his judgment is the way that you could inherit blessing in life and the way that would get in the way of you inheriting blessing in life. That's his doctrine. And so anything that doesn't rise to describing that or taking away from that, I don't even think is a doctrinal conversation, right? It's an interesting philosophical conversation. People can take this position or that position. And we've made a bunch of atheists in the world or helped a bunch of people reject God that maybe wouldn't have because we wanted to stake our claim and plant our flag on the hill of, no, the earth is only 6,000 years old. How dare you say the earth is a billion years old? Like we become so offended by that, right? But the point is having life or not having life. So if you want to talk about the creation of the world and somebody wanted to argue about the age of the earth, I would quickly sidestep and start talking about, well, what do you think it means that it says that God created everything? Right? I would immediately make the conversation about exactly the point that matters, right? Because we... The, the church has brought the wrong argument to the world over and over and over and over and over and over again. We want to argue about things that are really insignificant in the grand scope of does a person have the sun or does a person not have the sun? Does a person have eternal life or do they not have eternal life? And those are things worth arguing about to the point of blood or death because that is life and death for people, right? And, and I think we, we can do better to remember that sometimes. Where, where are we staking our, putting our stake in the ground? What hill? That, what hill do we want to die on? Right? Is that the hill we want to die on? I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that I think the carnal mind would get caught up in arguing. Right? And it's like you're missing the forest for the trees. Right? The point is, God is the only immortal. He's the only one who has life in himself. He's the only one who has a life that can bring order to chaos, that can bring light forth in the midst of darkness. 
that can bring life forth out of the midst of nothingness in death. He's the only one who has that kind of a life in himself. And we see that life on display in creation when he does what he does. And that's the point we're supposed to see there. And then after he creates everything, we see him come and promise us that same life. And he comes and reveals to us that he's our father, that it's his good pleasure to be the father that we need. When he barocks Adam, when he blesses Adam, he gets down on one knee in adoration of Adam. And he sets before Adam the life he has in himself. And he promises Adam to bring forth that life in Adam. That's the point of the creation story, right? Yeah, when you think about it, as, you, as human beings, we live in three-dimensional space within time. And God's not limited by time or dimension. Yeah. And so I think that makes me think about what Paul said, where you, know, you can't think or imagine what God has for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's beyond us within those confines. Yeah. It, it's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. The carnal mind, the natural mind can't comprehend God. So it requires you would be caught up by the Spirit. And, it, and even then, if you're inside of time, it can be difficult to think outside of time. Or if you're inside of physical elements, and that's all you've ever known, it can be difficult to think outside of physical elements. Paul said he didn't have words for it. He he couldn't even articulate what he saw. Yeah, oh, the majesty and glory and wisdom of God. Right? Like a guy in the Old Testament that stops the rain (laughs) and calls down rain. Right? Or calls down fire. That, That kind of stuff seems to be outside of the physical elements. Jesus walking on water. Axe handle. I mean, an axe head floating in the water. The axe head floating in the water. <laughs> the Philip being, talking. Philip being translated. The yeah, the donkey talking. Right. You you have things that seemingly happen outside of the time and space continuum, outside of the elements. Sun going backwards. Sun you know, going backwards. Yeah. For, the, for the benefit of doubt of someone, though, someone can present a little bit of a valid argument that if you question certain aspects like Jonah being swallowed by a fish or whatever. And you say, I don't believe that that happened. Or, you know, Balaam being, you know, uh, chastised by his donkey or whatever it is that, that seems strange or out of the norm of how things happen that we see in life that if you question those things that the scriptures say happened, like the scriptures say they happened, that you could say, well, if all these things were fantasy and not true, maybe the resurrection of Jesus was not real. Maybe that didn't really happen. So it's questioning the authenticity and the, the, the validity of the truths that are communicated to us in the scriptures. So that's a, there is some argument to that, you know. Yeah, but there's lots of people that don't believe what you and I would believe about the Old right. Testament. They believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. And they have eternal life. Yeah. And so the point isn't that there is no situation where if someone has a fundamental belief that they disbelieve everything in the Bible, no. that they're certainly Absolutely. not going to believe the resurrection. Absolutely. But the point is the argument that you would have with someone who's disbelieving, you would want to have that argument about Jesus being raised from the dead. 
Right. Not an argument about. I'm talking about somebody who, in the belly of the whale who believes the scriptures that they are true. They would present the argument that if you uh, deny the authenticity of some of these things, you, you're communicating that the scriptures are not reliable, and that if they're not reliable, how then do we know that it's reliable in regard to what they say happened? you know, uh, in the resurrection. That would be their argument for that. Who, whose argument? Someone who said, if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed <laughs> by a fish and spit out in Nineveh, that, that, you know, you can present the argument that if that's not true, if that never actually happened, maybe Jesus being raised from the dead was not did not actually happen. Right, but, that's true. but the, but the point is there's a bunch of people that that believe in the, they would say they believe oh, in the authenticity that. of scripture and they don't believe that Jonah is a real story. That's absolutely And they believe, the, they believe the whole point of Jonah is only to point to the physical resurrection of Jesus. And so one does not predicate the other is the point I'm making. So whether someone wants to agree with whether Jonah was spat out of the belly of the whale or not, that isn't the point that I'm gonna argue with somebody about. I'm gonna to talk to them about the resurrection of the dead. That's what that's the, what I'm saying. I completely understand okay. and agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just saying that is the argument that you get from folks who, when somebody says, I don't believe this about the scriptures, they say, well, if you don't believe that, or if you if you don't present those things as being factually true, then somebody could be, begin to question even the resurrection. Well, whether that's, that that's exactly the tactic that an attorney uses on cross-examination when he's questioning an eyewitness to an accent. He'll start with little things. Did you remember this? Did you remember that? To create the sense of doubt that if you can't trust this, you can't trust the ultimate issue of whether you saw what happened. That's what you're, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying is the argument of some. Yeah. But I completely understand yeah, so what Greg's saying. Yeah. The, the, the issue isn't whether, you, isn't whether... Yeah, the issue isn't whether you saw whether the convenience store was closed or not. The issue is, did you see this carve on the red light? Yeah. But they'll use the first to undermine the credibility yeah. on the second. That's right. Yeah. It is this historical fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That is something I will never question whether that physically actually happened in this earth. That actually happened. Some of these other things that you, you, you can let them argue about it or let them think that whatever they want to think about it. But that I will, I will never say is, you know, that that never physically happened. Well, I, had, that, yeah. I, had, I had an evidence professor that had a turn of phrase that was really useful. He said, uh, you'd set up an argument, and the premise was the, the part that was being debated. He would say, okay, suspend disbelief. <laughs> suspend, suspend disbelief. So in talking to a person, you could say, okay, put aside whether you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not. Suspend disbelief on that. If he did, what does it mean to you? What does it mean? And that's where you can get personal you know, fixation of the, how can we prove that the Americans actually landed on the moon? There are people who doubt that too, right? 
And so you can bypass that to get to the heart of the issue. Because uh, some people say, yeah, okay, I believe he rose from the dead, but, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, this is my point I brought up a long time ago. I said about being resurrected, okay, and walking. And let's say if he couldn't prove himself who he was, what would that do to the gospel, okay? But what did he show the people to prove who he was? Jesus was not the first man to be to rise from the dead. No, but I'm just saying, I understand that, Liza, but what I'm saying is, how did he prove himself to the people that he was who he was? He didn't prove himself at all. Every time they told him to prove it, he didn't do anything. He had the, he had the scars to prove that nailed to the cross. Am I right? That's how he proved himself. That's why I believe it. You know, if he couldn't approve himself, you know, it's it's going to be your choice if you believe him or not. Okay. I think we're missing the the, the point of what I said. The point of what I said is, we should engage with people from the perspective of arguments that matter. And I promise you, I've never won anybody to Jesus by convincing them of something intellectually and convincing them intellectually is true. And you're not gonna win an argument or win somebody to Jesus by arguing about how old the earth was. Well, you're not winning mm -hmm. them any, I mean, it's the you, spirit that's persuading their heart. Like, allow, me the, saying, allow me the language. If I'm talking, yeah, then I'm engaged I'm with saying, them. Like, I, the, the, the words are what's involved. That's like, the spirit. Ultimately, like the idea of proving or any type of argument that takes place about anything. Like the, even in the moment when you're talking about like dying on the hill of the argument for the sake of, you know, talking about the truth and what really took place and what actually matters, like the substance, like even that argument isn't something that we should necessarily make life or death in that it's not up to us to persuade, right? Like it has nothing to do with who it's up to to persuade. The conversation about isn't about who the burden of persuasion is on. The conversation yeah. is about conversations that can persuade. And if yeah, I'm involved in a conversation, conversation, then I'm certainly involved in the persuasion. And what I'm speaking is certainly involved in the persuasion. And so if I'm involved talking to somebody, I want to talk words that could have some effect that could be involved in them being persuaded to believe on Jesus or not. That's what I'm saying. And so I wouldn't argue with them about the history of the earth, yeah, no, right? Because that argument wouldn't carry with it the persuasion. It's the faith that persuades. If I speak the faith, is that persuading? Yeah. Okay, then no, the burden isn't on me because they're not my words. I didn't come up with the words, but I'm still speaking the words, right? So. I'm saying the words that I want to speak in an ar argument with somebody about God or the scriptures or the Bible. I want those words to be the faith and not just random historicity or random points that you could get into arguing as far as like apologetics and all those kinds of things. Arguments that matter, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking of like conversations I've had and it's like it can start with just the desire of sharing the truth and then like it's like a slippery slope to where at least for me 
like it can start to feel like uh you know is this having an effect like this this shift even though i'm sharing the faith it then i don't know the burden I don't know. It, it it happens very subtly, I guess. It's like the and burden of persuasion falls on you. <laughs> yeah, it's like the argument then. I didn't like the word. I, mean, I wouldn't even say argument, but um, it can then start to feel like it's been up to you, even though it began mm-hmm. with a desire just to share, based on maybe how the person responds or what direction the conversation goes. So I just think in that moment, you can feel like it's been, I don't know, it can get combative or I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I guess I was just thinking of how easily it switched for me within a conversation. I understand what you're saying. You start innocently and freely sharing the faith, who's Jesus, and then it shifts to... Are they understanding? Uh, am I doing a good am job? Am I undermining <laughs> the spirit? Am I saying the right thing? Is what I said yeah. clear? Uh, and then you start like it's almost like a test in your mind. Wait, wait, what are the steps? And I'm like, wait, how did Greg say? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I understood it when he told me. Uh, just go to gospelrevolutionchurch.com. <laughs> yeah. Don't. I mean, we're we're all friends, and so when I say things, I hope you guys understand that I'm the chief of this kind of center. And so we don't say things to disparage anybody or their position, but we do want to acknowledge things. We want to take into account that sometimes we can even be listening through the karma mind. And the karma mind would want to remove any type of instruction, lest the karma mind take the instruction and do something with it. Well, the mind of Christ will do something different with instruction than the karma mind would. And you always want to be mindful from what perspective am I listening? Right? Am I listening from the perspective of I'm going to produce life or what I need to do to produce life? Or am I listening from the perspective of how life is brought forth? Because those are two different mindsets and will completely change the way you're interacting with the conversation. There's certain liberties that, that I take at, at this point that maybe I shouldn't take. One of the liberties I take is that we're not talking from the carnal mind. And so there's certain things I just assume are the foundation from where we're speaking from. That doesn't mean they never need to be brought up again. But sometimes when Thomas and I get into, it's not even a disagreement. When we get into a back and forth, he's trying to reestablish something foundational. And in my mind, I'm trying to get over here. And we've spent 10 years reestablishing that. So now I want to go over here. It's not that he's right or I'm right or he's wrong. It's just if I reestablished every foundation every time I talk, we'd never get anywhere. And we'd never be able to get to talking about these things. And so the perspective isn't about... Of course, the burden of persuasion is on God, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to have a conversation with somebody about God because the burden of persuasion is on him. And if I am going to have a conversation with people about God, then what we're talking about is conversations that would be be under edification, exhortation and comfort. And so from that background, the kinds of conversations I'm going to have with people are centered around those things, right? That's the, the point of the conversation. And in the body of Christ, we can become, I'm going to use this, the cuss word now, experts in quote unquote, what we call the history of the scriptures and spend our time arguing about things you don't really see any of the apostles arguing about or Jesus arguing about it, right? You don't see Jesus getting sidetracked to try to prove anything about Jonah. 
He used it as a picture to talk about something else. You, you don't see Paul. In fact, you see Paul doing the other thing, saying not to get caught up in endless fables and genealogies. Yep. What do you think he's talking about when he says that? He's talking about spending your time arguing about these things, things in the oral tradition, right? Things that were talked about in great detail about creation and Jonah and these different events. Don't get caught up in arguing about those things like the scribes did and like the Pharisees did because they only engender the strife. And so the, the point that I'm making is that if we're going to have a conversation with somebody about God, we want it to be centered around things that are life and death. Right. And God set before us blessing in life and cursing in death in the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing Moses did in Deuteronomy. Right. And so what I want to talk to people about is that which was revealed in Jesus that blesses us with life. And what I want to talk about with people is that which was revealed in Jesus that punishes people with death. Right. And I want my conversations to be people with people to be centered around that. And if there's going to be a tug of war, that's where I want the tug of war to be. And if someone tries to take me somewhere else to have a side type of argument, I'm always going to come back over here, right? Because the carnal mind will always want to argue, right? Because none of, nothing makes sense to the carnal mind. Well, it's like Proverbs talks about not engaging with the fool in their folly, right? Well, I'm not going to come over here and argue with the carnal mind. Because that's fruitless and it engenders strife. It can never produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So just because they're off in the carnal mind doesn't mean I'm going to go get into the argument with the carnal mind. I'm going to try to draw them out of that and bring them over here where we're talking about the word that was made flesh in Jesus. And if they want to say they don't believe in something because they don't believe it really happened, I want to have that conversation about the resurrection. And the cross. If we're going to have that, I want to have it about that. Not about whether or not flames came down from Sodom and Gomorrah, whether or not there was a real flood, whether or not there was a real dude named Jonah, of which I believe all those things are real, right? But I'm not going to have that argument because I find it to be fruitless. I want to have this argument. I think the way that they're one is this. And if they're one here, then all those things fall into line. Whereas I could physically take them to the ark or to like the display of the ark where they say they found the ark or whatever. And I can scientifically prove to them that this ark did exist and there was a world flood and they still might not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's right. But if I come over here and through language that the Holy Spirit produces in me, persuade them that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Listen, they're going to believe all that other stuff. Right. And so that's what I'm saying. It's this is the domino that I'm over here busy with. And it doesn't mean please don't try and take what I'm saying as some type of law. It doesn't mean that the spirit could never lead you to the place where you might have this conversation. And it doesn't mean that there's never a conversation you could have over here that the spirit couldn't do something in. I'm talking in generalized terms. In generalized terms, we want to be single-eyed on what the treasure is. And in Christianity, if we actually want to affect the world around us that is very sick, that actually needs to see that there is a physician and a healer, I'm just trying to help start a conversation whereby the body of Christ would start having conversations with the world that actually matter instead of fighting about things that maybe don't matter near as much, right? And I've encountered it. So that's, that's why I said what I said.
Well, listen. It's not to say that the burden of persuasion is on us. It's not to say that a person couldn't make this argument over yeah. here. Sure. But it's to focus on this fact yep. so that everybody can remember this and not get lost in the other <coughs> things. You're absolutely right. We want to be reminded the burden of persuasion is not on us. And you're absolutely right that any time we share, it is a very, I don't even want to say it's a slippery slope. You're almost guaranteed to feel a burden. It's just about whether or not that burden uh, becomes born in your heart. Because the only reason why you share with somebody is because you're filled with compassion for their life. And you want them to live and not die. So there, that, there is a burden present that's different than what we mean when we say take on the burden. But you feel burden for their life. That's why you share, right? That's why you talk. So you're already emotionally involved. And so you're absolutely right. We, we want to be mindful. Something I do all the time after I share now, because I know the way my mind gets working. I get into analyzing everything I said and everything I did. I start thinking of praying with God about what's going on in them. Now what I do is I just walk away and commit it to the hands of God. I talk to him about my desire that they receive life, that they see him, that he be lifted up in their heart. And then I talk with God about how the only reason I could even desire that is because he first desired it and that he's way ahead of me in wanting that. Right. And I talk to him about how he's the only one who can bring it forth. And I find that for me, and someone can have a different conversation, but for me, that helps me deal with all the questions and thoughts that come up. Because if I have all those things come up, then if I don't walk away and talk with God about it, I start internalizing them. And I think everybody does. Mm -hmm. You start having an internal conversation yeah. with yourself that isn't really centered around a conversation that's going on in the Godhead. So because I know that, and I know the design of human is to meditate. We are meditative <laughs> beings. We are actually designed to meditate. It's just that what are we meditating on? And so after that, I always go off. After any counseling session, I stop and I get with God because I recognize a burden is going to try to come upon me. Not just a burden of wanting them to have life, but a burden of what can I do to bring it forth? And I get with God if I, if I, if I feel like I didn't say it right. I'll talk with God that he has the words, right? So, do you see how you combat that? Because the way the burden would come is a carnal mind would say, you don't have the right words. Yeah. And then you start thinking about the right words. The right way. Well, in order to cut that off, I talk with God about how he has the right words, right? Yeah. It's nice, I'm sure you would agree. I say that with confidence. You see that? I'm sure you would agree. That it's nice to be assured that God is working on it. Yeah. God's, yes. you walk away from that God, not only is he had a few, but he's working on it and will continue to work on that person. And you can be, you can be free. That's exactly right. But I'm glad you bring that up because it's a good point for people to see what, what do you do in that place? Because I think a lot of times we're grown, mature people and we think it's just natural to walk off and dwell on these thoughts and analyze what we said and analyze whether we think they were effective or not. Right. Rather than walk off and immediately connect with father. Right. And immediately talk with him about all the concerns we have. Right. If I don't think that I had the right words, if I think I fall, if I think I fell flat on my face, then I spent an hour ministering this person. And it was just like, and I walk away <laughs> feeling that way. I start talking with God about how he knows what will reach them. And I start talking with God how I'm available for him to quicken the right words inside of me. And I start talking with God about my desire for their life. And I commit it into his hands. And then I walk away with him carrying the burden and me being in the place where if there is a word that could jolt them that I don't know about, because only God knows the depth of their heart. 
that's the place I can hear it from, right? And so I, I'm very mindful of that when I, when I walk away. And you make a great point that the carnal mind will always try to get us to engage with what's said. And because you're immediately judging it, good or bad, like, you know, walking away, was that mm-hmm. good or bad? Life or death. <laughs> I mean, really, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't really like this guy. <laughs> this guy, I think, is, is, is one of the wisest people according to the wisdom of the world. And so I'll say it that way. But in him being very wise according to the wisdom of the world, he understands the art of argument and how to articulate an argument. And so I'll reference him from that perspective because he made a good argument. Um, Jordan Peterson was talking to somebody. Um, he was talking to the people that I think made the movie about the child trafficking or something along those lines. And the person was just like, what's the point? It's not going to you know, matter. It's not going to change anything. And he said something along the lines of the best possible outcome happened the moment you spoke. And that anytime we say what the truth is, the best thing that can happen has already happened. It's not that we're waiting to see if something good can happen or not. And that even engaging from that perspective, he considered it to be a fallacy, right? And so I think it's applicable in, in terms of Christianity because if we've said the truth, the best possible thing that could happen has happened, right? And we tend to not go away feeling that way, right? It's like, let there be light just happen. I mean, what, what better thing could happen than the light manifesting? The light manifesting. And we put on display the light. And so, wow, look at that light. Hallelujah. The best thing that could happen has already happened. And anything else that's involved would be involved just in the person's heart. And there's actually nothing, to your point, we'll keep building out the thought because it's a great thought and it's a nuanced conversation. There's absolutely no role I play in the light persuading them. The only role I play is did I declare the light, right? But once I declare the light, it's not about how did I declare the light. It's not about was I eloquent in declaring the light. It wasn't about were my examples good in declaring the light. It's the light's work to pierce into the heart. And it's a bright, glorious, shining light that pierces into all darkness, right? And so the light does that work. And the question just is, is that I declare the light and I walk away thanking God for the light. And thanking God that the light pierces all darkness. And Father, however many different ways there are to declare the light, I'm available for you to bring forth all the different ways inside of me, right? And when I walk away, Father, I I desire to be able to see the light and just rejoice over the light and not walk away judging the outcome or judging the results and judging what I did by the outcome or the results. Because that is a common thing to all humans, but it's the kind of thing that can serve you with pain and make you just shut up. And make it just not do anything, right? It make, why pray, right? If I don't see an, a result immediately every time I pray in the exact way I thought it should happen, then why pray? Now you're judging the power of what you're doing based on what you see outwardly. But how can you judge the power of God based on what you think you see outwardly? We, we already have one example. Jesus cursed the fig tree. It didn't die immediately. Not to the natural eye. We know that immediately it started to die because it said that it dried up from the root. And so it first died at the root that couldn't be seen. And then by the time they came back around, however many hours later, 24 hours or whatever, the tree was now dead, right? 
And so we, we get into judging outcomes and we get into looking at results and, and we, we're, that's living by the knowledge of good and evil still. Instead of living by the knowledge of the Son of God. What we know about the Son of God is there's a life in Him that is glorious. That is more light than ever would be needed to save everyone from death that wants to be saved. And we know that. And so we walk away thinking about the light. Right. Instead of walking away, contemplating whatever darkness we thought was there and whether or not we were able to affect the darkness. Right. It's the light. And isn't it glorious, this light, Father, that you've shined into the earth and revealed yourself? Isn't this life glorious? Thank you, Father, that I could have just declared this life, Lord, and I commit my desire for their life into your hands. And you walk away. Right. Otherwise, it will just make you shut up and you'll become what do they call it uh, paralysis by analysis. And you'll spend so much time analyzing that you'll never do or say anything, yep. right? And you'll never just let it rip. And I, I struggled with that because I'm very analytic. The way I look at scripture, the way I consider things, it's very systematic. And I believe it's from God. But you can get too caught up in your analysis, right? That you're busy wrestling with the carnal mind more than you are the life of God, right? And we can all recognize that and, and be set free. And let her rip. And let her rip. And, and commit the results into God's hands after the fact. Right? You just declare the truth and you don't predetermine the outcome. The truth is not afraid of a lie. Uh, the, the mind of the spirit's not afraid of the carnal mind. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. Who do you say that I am? Okay, so I bring that up because there's a passage of scripture that a lot of people will point to. A lot of people, people that are into reincarnation, they'll point to it. And uh, it's where Jesus asked him, he said, who do men say that I am? All right. Jesus is not a schizophrenic. There's a reason he asked that question. Obviously, he's hearing people say stuff. So he knew what was going to come up when he phrased that that way. All right, you didn't know that because I phrased it to you and, and that kind of talk hadn't been going on, right? So the fact he brought it up and that was the response, that lets me know that that's kind of what they were talking about. And they said, well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist returned from the dead or one of the prophets. All right, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> All right, because what happens in that situation even though you might have the truth, you're, they're going to stumble against that truth and they're going to be offended. And an offended heart, it's easier for a strong city to be, uh, for, for a strong city to be one than for an offended person. All right. So Jesus, did, he didn't tackle He just said, oh, yeah. Well, who do you say that I am? Because he knew where it could go. And then Peter said, thou art the Christ of full flesh and blood hand revealed this to you, my father. And he started zooming in on what the father said, what the father said. And he didn't even address that. He answered a fool according to their folly. And in their folly, he brought them into truth. I thought you were going to say you're not really mad. <laughs> she said, who do you say that I am? I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> is this guy about to tell us he's not really mad? <laughs> I am that prophet which was spoken of. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But does, does that, is that like along with what you're describing? Yeah. And what you're talking about. And every single person has felt that. Jesus felt that. There's an account. I'll send it to you when I find it. Because I'm going to get the chapter off. 
But there's a chapter in Isaiah where Jesus is talking with the Father about his ministry. And he said that he came and emptied himself and it was all for in vanity, that it was vain, that it was worthless, that he was rejected, that he came to save the lost sheep of Israel and they nailed him to a tree. And he's talking with the father about that. But at the end of his lamenting about how all of his efforts were empty and vain, he says this, but the judgment of what I've done lies in your hands, O God. So he talked about all the things that were being presented to him, but then he yielded the judgment of what really happened into the father's hands. And then the father comes in and starts saying, not only will I give you Israel, but I'll give you the Gentiles. And he starts talking about the efficacy of what he did isn't just going to bring in the lost sheep of Israel, but it's going to bring in even the Gentiles, right? And so there's the human, our natural mind thinking, what's the point? I mean, listen, because when we do something, especially if we're passionate, when we do something, we do it to see a result. We have a desire to see life come forth. That's why we have such a zeal. And so we're in it with everything. We're excited about it like a kid in a candy store. And we just know the power of God. And we just know the power of his life. And we just know that death and sin cannot abide his presence. And we jump in there and we say the most glorious thing. And it seems like it didn't happen. <laughs> and then we can easily feel oh, like, a de- like a dejection, right? Like a, a fire cracker like you buy the big firecracker and it's supposed to go off for 20 minutes but the, the wick is no good and so it doesn't even go off it's a, it's a dud right we can easily feel that we want to recognize that's not a symptom of us that's a common thing it's a symptom of the carnal mind right engaging with what we know to be life and life and to Maurice's point in an apologetic situation He's absolutely right. You could make an argument that if they disagree with that, then they're going to disagree with this, mm-hmm. right? That would that is a compelling argument that holds true for several people, right? So I wasn't trying to move off of what you said. I didn't want people to lose sight of the point that I was making. I'm just saying that there is an argument people make on that order. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. But, no, but the, but the issue really is this that. Although I fully believe the historicity of the scriptures, okay, Amen. 100%. If they were all just stories, if Moses, you know, God parting the Red Sea with Mo- by Moses' hand or whatever, was a story. If all of those things back then were just stories, which they're not, I believe that they're reality. But if they were, they all point to the same thing. And all of these stories from all these diverse sources are all pointing to the same thing. Yep. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died and for our sins, was raised from the dead and came to give us his life. And if you possess that life, you have eternal life. So <laughs> even if it were stories, it's still pointed all to the same thing. That's it. That, and that's the, the point. And yeah. that's what we would spend our time. Reasoning. A lot of it can fall into such frivolity and then it's just back and forth and back. And forth. I heard one guy, he's talking about how that if you go to where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, uh, it's actually possible because the water in that particular area is <laughs> yeah. only knee deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And the other guy said, well, glory to God, it's even a bigger miracle than what I thought. He's like, what do you mean? He said, the largest expeditionary force on planet Earth at the time died in knee deep water. <laughs> yes. Do you want to add anything else to what you were saying? Callie? Oh, no. Because no. do do, I don't want to wrap up your thought no, for no. you. You expounded in a way that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and to Thomas's point about the ability to look past an argument to see something else and, and talk about that, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to engage with every thought yeah. that is declared. You can sift through it and let the Holy Spirit pinpoint the part that is, you know. Well, when you're declaring the light as you put it, and I've had this experience, maybe others have too. There's great joy in witnessing the light having an effect in a person's heart. There's yeah. great joy in that. It, it, you can get addicted to that. That's the joy that was set before him. I mean, it, it is good, man. It's better than anything this world has to offer, in my opinion. And then you you, you can chase after that. Yeah. And uh, But I also know from personal experience, when I was... 1993 is first going to a Bible study, arguing with people. And this guy said one little phrase that really stopped me. He just, and he, he didn't know that the phrase would have this effect on me. He just said, well, uh, if this is true, do you think it might be relevant? And it was just that phraseology that made me stop. And I had to stop. And I said, well, relevant is a term that's familiar to me. I don't know if he knew that. But it just made me think, okay, well, I have to stop and consider that then. You never know what God's going to use. Sure. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to, to grab the, the exact language, because I forgot the exact language. But you're absolutely right. If someone wants to disagree, you can even concede that point just to get them twisting on what would be the significance if it was true. Right? Because at the end of the day, you want them walking away weighing what is the significance of the message, not whether or not they think this historical event is true. Let them at least go away considering what is the significance of the message. You, you, I guess I'll wrap it up this way. It, the point isn't to have them cry uncle to win an argument. The point is to have them cry daddy. Yeah. Yeah. That'll preach right there. Yeah. That's it. In a bow. And, and, and we'll, we'll finish with that. But yeah, that was, I loved what you said about that. But, well, if it weren't true, what was the, what's the significance of it? Because now you get them twisting on what would it mean, yeah, right? Instead of That's just right. rejecting, because they probably never even gotten it. What would it mean? They're just stuck on do they believe yeah. in a historical event or not, right? Okay, great. But what do you? What's the significance? Glory to God. That's good. It's powerful. Thank you guys so much.